0: Hi, Brett. Good to have you on the show.
1: Hey, Hardy. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: (laughs) So um, for everyone who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, My position, um, I'm the director of strategic communications for the nonprofit multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies, otherwise known as MAPS. Um, So I've been with MAPS since 2009. I started as an intern and then came on staff in 2011 when we first started our MDMA trials. Uh, Now we're in phase three trials. Um, So I do media, public communications, brand strategy, public education, webinars, publishing, um, a lot of different things related to the public education around psychedelics. I'm super happy to be here to share. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, um, could you please tell us the story behind, like, how did you uh, get involved into all of this? And um, yeah, share a bit about uh the story behind, like, Maps and uh, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Maps was founded in 1986 uh, as a response to the criminalization of MDMA, which happened for the first time in 1985. So 1986, I was three years old. Uh, uh, there's there's been a lot of work that's happened over the last 33 34 almost years of maps's existence Um, and i think maps more than any other organization to my knowledge has helped change how the world is thinking about psychedelics and transforming them from these stigmatized scary drugs into scientific tools and medical tools and things that we should really look at seriously from a scientific standpoint. So our mission is to bring psychedelics and cannabis, these schedule one drugs that have for years been exiled um, from our medical system and from our science, um, bring them back into the research so that we can look at them seriously and take them seriously, reduce stigma and help people um, however we can with these substances. Of course, we have to do the research before we do that. Um, you know, also, you know, the psychedelics have a long, long history of stigma. Um, and um, uh, MAPS is um, really, I think, our number one goal is to look at these substances very carefully and find out what they can be used for for human beings and what they shouldn't be used for, how they can be used, how they cannot be used. And so to take the scientific rather than a political view of psychedelics.
0: Yeah, like, like most people do, actually. And I think um, nowadays, um, there's a lot less stigma around uh, psychedelics and cannabis and because um, a lot of big guys on social media are really openly talking about uh, psychedelics and the use of psychedelics. And um, I had on the show like uh, several scientists on uh, psychedelics, for instance, Dr. David Nichols. And um, yeah, and I think it's amazing what uh, psychedelics uh, are. are what they what they really can they can really be productive for instance he was talking about like um, helping people with uh, depression and um, drug issues and addictions and um, suicide and all those different issues and um, I think it's like really overlooked on the health benefits quote-unquote of psychedelics so uh, yeah
1: yeah yeah absolutely these drugs they're they're part of the contr- the Controlled Substances Act so schedule one drugs Um, that category means that they have a high potential for abuse and no medical use. Hmm. Um, I think most people not knowing the history of the controlled substances act and how these substances got added um, make the assumption that LSD and MDMA and psilocybin mushrooms and cannabis, they were added to this schedule to this list because of some kind of scientific process that You know, scientists at some point looked at them and decided, nope, we've checked all the medical uses and therapeutic uses, and we definitely know there are none, and we know they're extremely harmful and can only be used for evil and not for good. And that's Mm. kind of how they were stuck there. There was no scientific process. It was a highly politicized process. And so now we're just starting to gather. Because I think
0: most people use use those things uh, recreationally, right? Like when they're partying and um, on festivals and this and that. So
1: Yeah, yeah. People don't know um, what the best uses are. A lot of people come to psychedelics through the black market at parties. Um, they're taught that these are scary drugs and there's no good use for them. And so when when they do finally try them, they don't have any preparation. There's no education about what are the best uses, what are the safest uses, where should you not use it, and so on and so forth. So in addition to the therapeutic uses that we're developing with the FDA, with the DEA, we're doing these clinical trials, but we're also focused on, well, people are continuing to use these drugs outside of therapy and they probably will because human beings have used these drugs for as far as we've had human beings um, forever. Animals ingest psychoactive substances um, to change their mental state. So we're also looking at these recreational uses and um, teaching people about harm reduction Mm -hmm. and providing peer support. Uh, So providing people with a way to receive support if they're having difficult psychedelic experiences and they're unprepared, that doesn't involve going to the hospital or being arrested. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, um, before we talk about the actual use of psychedelics, um, could you please share with us, like, um, how is MAPS trying to um, reduce the stigma in our society, or especially uh, probably in, in the U.S.? And, um, yeah, could you please speak, about, uh, speak on that?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, in, in the U.S. and in the world at large, we have this big, fancy, expensive medical system. Um, We have scientific research. Um, We have approvals from the regulatory agencies. These whole systems that are in place to uh, allow us to feel safe with certain drugs or devices uh, to um, say, hey, these are legitimate tools that can be used. Uh, Now, as long as psychedelics have been associated with the counterculture, as these, as these tools of resistance, as these ways to break open our mind or to tear down culture, or to create these radically um, new ways of living in a quick uh, way, um, you know, that's, that's scary to the status quo. Yeah. Um, and we, we don't know if the sky is going to fall um, if we legalize these substances or make them more broadly available. So what no. MAPS's strategy has been is to speak in a language that our culture can understand. Uh, and that's the language of rigorous scientific clinical trials and data and statistics. So if we can present data in a way to regulators into the world at large that makes sense in those systems, then we can have an official stamp of approval from the FDA that says, hey, these drugs have some medical uses as shown in scientific evidence. That removes them from Schedule 1. The DEA will be required to reschedule MDMA, for example, once it has a medical use. It'll have to go to Schedule 2 or 3. Um, so that's the language that we're trying to speak, uh, and it seems to be working. Um, And it's that combination of the data, the hard data that we see in the clinical trials that's showing, wow, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy is actually a lot more effective if you look at the phase three trials than the currently available treatments. Um, And that's that's the hard data that we have. Mm. And then at the same time, we have people real live human beings, you know, going through these these trials and coming out with their stories about what it was like for them and how different it is than regular treatments. And they've already been through these treatments, and then they share these stories, and those get out in the media. So it's this combination of really poignant stories, personal stories, and the hard data that is drawing more attention to this work. And so you have, as you said, these big podcasters uh, and journalists, and Michael Pollan came out um, very recently, with this new book, um, How to Change Your Mind." And I think that's turned on millions of people to you know, hey, maybe maybe we've relegated psychedelics um, for too long and and we should be taking them seriously. So that data in the stories is like leading us to be able to have more conversations,
0: yeah. And I think the big problem is that, the average person is so emotional about the topic, like um before you are saying anything, they already have an opinion and um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so the ground on uh, having a, a quote unquote hatsy discussion is like um and yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to have an, an, a normal uh, discussion with someone because they already have like a negative viewpoint on psychedelics. Like yeah. I, for instance, I don't have like a particular like um, favorable opinion, nor do I have like a disfavorable opinion on psychedelics. I think um, they could be used for, for good and um, they can be used for terrible things. People are having very, very bad experiences with uh, using those substances. And, um, yeah, I think the biggest problem is that people are really emotional about the subject. So,
1: Yeah, yeah. and Connecting with those emotions, I think, is the core of what I do with MAPS, is finding out what are the fears around these substances, and then how can we, again, speak in a language that people can, can understand and kind of speak through those fears. I think a big thing that we can do is to acknowledge the fears mm. Not try to sweep them under the rug or pretend like these drugs are going to save the world or on on their own. It might help, but certainly not on their own. Um, Yeah, how can we? How can we have those conversations? Um, Hmm. Looking at what the misconceptions are, I think is most important. The one misconception. Yeah. Yeah. Go go ahead. ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to ask, like, what are the common misconceptions about sure? Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So if if if, if people um, are afraid of one thing, and more suspicious of one thing than they are of psychedelics, it's the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, we've seen this. Big pharma. Big pharma. So it's like, sure, you know, psychedelics, scary, counterculture, Tim Leary. Oh my gosh, we don't know, you know. But big pharma, that is a known danger to a lot of people. There's a great deal of mistrust. We've seen that from the opioid epidemic and pharmaceutical companies pushing overpriced addictive drugs to people who don't necessarily need them. Not enough controls over how many are being prescribed. We've got the the prescription antidepressant epidemic. Um, I know a lot of people who maybe wouldn't say they're addicted to antidepressants, but they're on antidepressants. They're afraid to get off of them, and they're not sure if they're working. Hmm. There's a lot of people. I wonder how many of your listeners identify with that or know somebody like that. And it's hard to get off antidepressants. So I know um, somebody like that yeah. <laughs> already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think most people are on some, <laughs> some prescription drug, and more than a third of people in the United States are on some kind of psychiatric prescription drug. That is a big business. Hmm. And people realize that. MAPS is a pharmaceutical company But we're a nonprofit pharmaceutical company. We don't plan to have a patentable drug that we can then control the market and get people on it and have them take it every day for the rest of their lives. So one of the misconceptions is that MAPS is just another big pharma company trying to get people on another drug. First of all, MDMA and LSD and psilocybin mushrooms, all of these are off-patent. You can't patent any of these drugs. MDMA is too old. It was first patented in 1914. LSD, similarly, um, way too old. Um, Psilocybin mushrooms, of course, they're naturally occurring. So you can't patent those. Cannabis itself, you can't patent that. There's all sorts of ways to patent and lock down, in terms of intellectual property, um, different ways to synthesize psychedelics Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. different ways to deliver them different preparations and pills or capsules or that kind of thing Um, also different therapeutic methods that could be combined with those so you can patent all of these different approaches to using them or making them but you can't ever just have control over the whole thing so maps is working with these generic drugs uh and um you know, I think even more importantly than it being a generic drug is we're not looking at drugs that people are going to be taking every single day for the rest mm. of their lives. Psychedelic therapy is a very different treatment model than our current pharmaceutical system, where you go to the psychiatrist, maybe you have a 20-minute chat, and they give you your prescription drugs. This was my experience. I had a lot of experience with mental health and pharmaceuticals. Speak to that uh, if you feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can get back around to that for sure. Because um, <laughs> uh, um, it's what led me to this work. Um, mm. but, but the misunderstanding that people have is that people are going to be taking this drug every day for the rest of their lives. So they see the headline, MDMA for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. And they think, oh, great. Well, sure, they're giving people prescription bottles full of mdma to go take home and then have these experiences and well of course they're going to be happy they're going to be on mdma all the time whoa you know first of all you can't take mdma all the time (laughs) not only um can it be toxic if you take too much of it too often but it just won't work it just won't work anybody who's used mdma recreationally And trying to do it like three days in a row over a weekend, by the last day, it's not going to work because the pharmacology just doesn't work like that. You know that. Yeah. So instead, we're looking at just a few sessions. In a case of, um, in a course of 12 weeks of psychotherapy, which is the standard for MDMA assisted psychotherapy that we're developing, people only get the drug three times and they get it there in the context of psychotherapy under the supervision of a therapist and they don't go home until the next day or until after the drug's effects have completely worn off. So there's a lot of, uh, a big container around it. You'll never get a prescription bottle to go fill the pharmacy and keep in your medicine cabinet, even after approval, that'll never happen. You'll go in and you'll get the one from the therapist, you'll take it right there and you'll have your therapeutic experience. So I think that's a big misunderstanding that we're not just trying to get people to take more drugs. We're actually trying to get people off of the drugs as mm. quickly as possible. Um, so there's not, there's, there's not this Sounds big, like
0: the opposite uh, on what, what, what uh, Big Pharma is doing.
1: Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'm so excited about it. Uh, so you, know, you yeah. asked me to talk a little bit about my experience. Please. That. Yeah, when I was young, I went through all sorts of different psychiatric treatments for mental health. I was very depressed and angry, of oh, my home. living. It was a result of my living situation growing up, relationship with my parents, and um, just like you know, we're kids. We just kind of like take on the environment around us. And uh, so you had like medica-
0: a bad environment back then. So
1: yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't healthy for me emotionally growing up, uh, which I know probably most people can identify with what um what happened for me is that i got put into the mental health system and um for for the first 20 years of my life i was seeing psychiatrists i was taking antidepressants i was taking lithium a mood stabilizer um i was, I was
0: back then like 14 15
1: 16 started when a... i was 11 on these <laughs> what so i consider myself yeah. lucky lucky um just like a couple of years ago, I read a, a New York Times article about how they're giving antipsychotics to two year olds. Now, what? Yeah, at, yeah <laughs> and, and maybe there's a use there. Maybe there's yeah, a use sure. maybe for some people. I'm no
0: doctor, that, but.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. It, it sounds crazy
0: understand. to me, but.
1: <laughs> how do you decide a two year old is psychotic? Because they're crying a lot? I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a normal two year old response. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was on these medications for a long time. I didn't feel they were helping me. I didn't feel like I was getting support from therapists. Um, and I started reading about the counterculture. And I started, you know, I learned that, hey, these drugs existed and they were helpful for some people for creativity. And um, I found uh, LSD on my own, um, reading this big history. I was, you know, reading about all these artists and musicians and activists for years who have been using these and, and proselytizing about them. Mm even though i'd heard that these drugs are super super dangerous. So when it came down to, you know, i had this these, these little squares of LSD in my hand and um you know, this was my junior year of college and I was thinking, you know, well, this is, stuff is so dangerous. I'm going to permanently break my brain if i take this. This is a synthetic drug. Like i don't this i'm not the kind of person that does this. But what what i found when i did some internal looking about it was I've been taught to take drugs my entire life. LSD has been around since the forties and millions of people have used it. And looking at the science, you know, compared to the science of what happens when people are on antidepressants or antipsychotics or these much newer drugs with, with um, a, a far shorter history of use. Um, People have been taking LSD since the 1940s on a regular basis, and there are case reports and epidemiological studies and toxicology studies. We know a lot about these drugs. Um, we don't know as much about what happens if you've been on antidepressants for 40 years. Yeah, They haven't been around for that long. We don't know. It was similar to cigarettes and smoking. When cigarettes first came out, um, they were very popular in the early 20th century as a result of movies and films. Uh, and people thought they were good for you. Doctors would prescribe cigarettes. They would say, hey, you should take cigarettes. It kind of like loosens up the phlegm in your in your chest. Um, and it's, it's good for your breathing. And it circulates. Sure. You know, to make it, it sharp. Took, <laughs> yeah. It's great for you. Please. Yeah. And it took, like maybe cigarette makers knew about it, but it took 20, 30 years
0: yeah.
1: for the carcinogenic effects to come out. I'm not saying the antidepressants have carcinogenic effects. It's simply that... We don't know. And so this was a calculation that was going on in my head. And I was mm. like, well, there have been a lot of people who have used LSD in therapy. I've read the books. I've read the case reports. I'd read Stan Groff. And so I was like, well, I'm going to give this a shot. And that day, I took a six-hour walk around the campus. I didn't go to a party. I didn't go to a rave. I just like walked around in nature. And I took a long walk and just felt really clear and present and... Um, The sun was shining down on me, and I just felt um, like this is really beautiful. And in that moment of saying, "like this is really beautiful, this expanded awareness, uh, I I had the realization that maybe nothing was wrong with me, that maybe there's nothing wrong with my brain or my neurochemistry, such that I need to keep taking pharmaceuticals. Very powerful. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. the next week, I visited my psychiatrist for the last time, and I was like, "We're done. I'm not going to be taking these drugs anymore."
0: After like uh, working with him, probably for several years, right?
1: Yeah, but working with you know, going in and the ten minute conversation, and then a re prescription. You know, there wasn't ever any like, "Hey, what was your?" I never had a psychiatrist mm-hmm. or a therapist, for that matter. Say, what's your family situation like?
0: Nobody asked that. They were just giving you drugs
1: nobody asked (laughs) that's
0: that's (laughs) crazy to me to be honest like
1: it is crazy i think it's all too common in an experience Mm. it happens a lot
0: like so um using LSD totally changed their life like it sounds to me like that
1: it 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 did and i wish i had had more support i wish i had had somebody to talk to it probably would have been better to have it in combination with therapy at that time because it, it took me years to understand that, that moment and, and why that moment had led me to get off of my prescription drugs. Um, and I don't think it's going to be automatic for everybody like that. Sure. And um, you know, it, it's a much more complicated process. It's not just like I took the LSD and suddenly I didn't have these mood swings anymore. It was more just like taking responsibility that if there's nothing broken in my brain, then I can. Um, there's things that I can do can move my body more, I can work on my relationships, mm-hmm. I can put effort into improving my life rather than just trying to take some drug and hoping hoping it's going to fix me. So after that yeah. time with LC, I got off my drugs and so I actually ended up taking less drugs <laughs> overall <laughs> than I would have otherwise. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh,
0: because I was talking to to Dr. David Nichols, he also said basically the same thing that um, a lot of people are using those substances and he has done like extensive research on suicidal and MDMA and all those different things and he said that um, people take those things and they make like huge changes in their life, like people are moving away from the US or like getting a divorce or like totally changing their lifestyle. And um, I think you can't deny the facts. You can argue about that. Like um, I've spoken with, with a couple of people on the podcast already who had um, who, who have taken like those substances and they, they said that it totally changed their perspective on uh, different things. And um, so they can definitely have a, a positive impact. So, um,
1: yeah, yeah. The, those, those are the case reports, you know that that we hear. We 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 know that people can get better. Question is, okay, now, how much do people take? What's the preparation? What's the integration? How do we maximize this? And how do we make it safe? And how do we find out who they're good for and who they're not good for?
0: Um, Could you please speak to that? Yeah.
1: I, we're, we're still finding out. We have to be very specific with these questions in the clinical trials so that we can do the experiment. In the case of MDMA. Um, and that's and MDMA. sorry to interrupt, yeah. but,
0: but did you yeah. have like um, later like, experiences with those substances? And yeah, um, yeah please continue.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, no, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't my last time. Yeah, the changes take a long time. Um, I think I'm still being changed by that. And, um, you know, I also think that if they're being used carefully, um, that they can be used for a lot of different things. So just because you kind of, there's this kind of idea in psychedelic culture, or at least in the culture where, you know, once you get the message, hang up the phone.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I've
1: heard that a lot. Um, in my experience, my, um, my personal experience, um, there's a lot of messages and they keep coming. Mm. Um, how the substances are used is, you know, it has to change over time as we grow and we change and our relationship with, um, the substances and our lives changes. Um, but I think there's, there's just so much that these can offer, not just for, for healing, but for personal growth and spirituality and creativity, MAPS is also very interested in those. So it, MAPS is not just narrowly focused on, this, uh, on these therapeutic uses, um, but that's where we're starting because, again, that's where the stigma is and we have to speak that language. Um, but there are clearly other uses, um, microdosing for um, all sorts of things, for depression, for creativity, for personal enhancement. There's been zero studies completed Um, on microdosing and actually the media has um, gotten way out ahead of the research uh, as far as the microdosing because that's a new thing Uh, using very very small doses more on a regular kind of pharmaceutical basis um, over a period of time to get these kind of small benefits. Mm -hmm.
0: So um, could you please speak about like um, what does the research say um, yeah, give us the, uh, the, the big picture. Like, what are the, the pros and the cons of using those substances?
1: Uh, yeah, so there are. All these substances are very different, right? We kind of lump them all into a category of psychedelics. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, MDMA is very different from psilocybin mm-hmm. mushrooms, which is. Which is um, so that psilocybin mushrooms are somewhat different from LSD. Maybe,
0: maybe okay. you could give sure. yeah. for everyone, sorry to interrupt, but maybe you could give for everyone like a very, very short uh, description of um, those, uh, yeah, of, of psilocybin and those things, like what are they used for and so on and so forth. So. Sure,
1: yeah, yeah, great question, great question. Yeah, there's so much going on, it's helpful to kind of summarize.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, so as far as these substances go, MAPS's main focus is using MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a twelve-week course of psychotherapy with several sessions of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. There, MDMA is being used to enhance the therapy. With all psychedelic-assisted therapies, um, the emphasis is going to be on the therapy. It's not on the drug. So we want to get in. We want to ask these questions: What's your family situation like? Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about the family situation
0: instead um, of like only giving?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, using the drug to help the patient answer that question. Um, and in ca- the case of MDMA, we don't know exactly how it's working to improve psychotherapy. We're seeing that in the trials, it has improved psychotherapy like a lot. Um, it's a two to three times more effective um, in the studies. The therapy is with MDMA than than without. That's um, comparison with. That's Placina. a lot. Yeah. Um, so MDMA has this uh, has this effect of um, increasing trust, increasing feelings of trust, increasing feelings of intimacy, um, also increasing focus and memory, um, motivation. Um, all those things together uh, are what we think is making MDMA such a powerful tool to make psychotherapy more effective. Um, with PTSD, people often um, have less trust, um, trust in people around them, trust in their therapists. It can be very scary to share some of these you know, most, most terrifying experiences that people have had in their lives that have shaped their psyches, um, and so they don't talk about them. Um, and that's why psychotherapy for PTSD can take years or decades or or it might never work because you go into therapy and somebody asks you about the scariest thing that's ever happened to you. And you're like, eh, eh, let's talk about something else. What that is, is the amygdala, this little reptilian part of the brain. People with PTSD have a hyperactive amygdala often. so. Uh, what that does is it flags memories as too scary to deal with Mm. or something that you have to fight. It's related to the fight or flight response. Uh, So either, so the amygdala lights up, it says this is something that we need to fight or this is something that we need to run away from. Mm. Um, It can flag memories just as well as it can flag actual things happening in front of you. MDMA we've seen in brain scans actually just turns down the volume of that amygdala it directly like it works directly on that amygdala. It works on other parts of the brain and body too, mm. but very specifically it turns the amygdala down. So in therapy when that memory comes up from the back goes into the amygdala it's no longer so scary and the mm. brain says this is something that you can talk about. Talk about <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's
0: talk about that.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's MDMA and PTSD in therapy. That's our main focus. Um, The other major area of work, um, or at least most advanced right now, um, are the phase three trials of psilocybin-assisted therapy uh, for depression. There's a couple of different other organizations that are working on those. We're all very friendly and collaborative, um, helping move these medicines forward, um, different models for doing it. Um, So psilocybin therapy, that's for depression. Again, we don't know exactly, exactly how it's working. Again, it's psilocybin mushrooms combined with with therapy over a course of treatment. Um, one thing that we know about mushrooms and also about MDMA and LSD is um, one way that they work on the brain is by increasing neural plasticity, uh, which means the flexibility of the neurons in the brain to make new connections or to change their connections.
0: For what uh, purpose? Like for example, uh, to learn things faster or?
1: Yeah, so depression, can be seen as an inability to learn a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. We get caught in these cycles of I'm not good enough and I'm depressed and it's bad that I'm depressed, so I'm not good enough, so I'm depressed, which makes me not good being enough.
0: Depressed being depressed about being depressed,
1: right? Being depressed about being depressed. Yeah. That's <laughs> depression. Everybody gets knocked down by bad moods sometimes. Depression is what happens when you're in a loop and you can't get out. Um, so psychedelics they increase never seen
0: it like that by the way very powerful but uh, Uh,
1: yeah 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 like it's okay to be in a bad mood yeah exactly having a bad day and being depressed it's like you're caught in this box
0: you can't get out of it basically you're trying to but it it doesn't work
1: yeah you've convinced yourself into this box Mm. (laughs) yeah and these tools they can increases plasticity. They can help the brain realize when it's in a loop and break out of it. Mm. So supported with psychotherapy, that can be guided in a way um, to realize that people are in patterns and then to kind of break out of those. Um, There's also um, a new neuroscientific model called the default mode network. Mm -hmm. Default mode. Um, So default just like a computer. It's the default. It's the standard setting on your brain. You go around your day. You know, you're Hardy. I'm Brad. We have our personalities. We have our yeah. ways of relating to people. It's like okay, likes kind of, and
0: dislikes.
1: I yeah. like this, this is what I do. That's the default mode. It's a system. It's a pattern in our brains. Um, that's just normally activated, mm-hmm. and it might have a certain shape on a brain scan. It might just kind of look like this. But the Psychedelics. Um, the ones that act on serotonin, so that includes MDMA, LSD, serotonin, most psychedelics, um, actually. Um, they, um, they change this default mode. It allows the brain, they allow the brain to get into different patterns. Mm. Um, so rather than just sitting in our personalities, we might be like, well, this isn't something I normally do or think. This isn't a way that I normally think. They make it easier to do that It break yeah. us out of these fault pathways
0: and so, and i think most people are really um upset of uh living the same damn life and having the same damn day like for the rest of their <laughs> life like um we all have like habits we want to get rid of and ways of thinking and this and that so
1: yeah so wouldn't it be amazing if we had access to these things in a safe way where we can consciously make those changes
0: yeah, yeah. so so um, could you all please also speak about uh, microdosing? Uh, you've mentioned that um, there isn't like so much research uh, published yet about uh, microdosing, psychedelics, and all those different things, but um, I've heard quite a lot of chatter on, on social media about microdosing, yeah. uh, those things. So uh, could you please speak on that a little bit more? So,
1: Yeah, there have been some um, some studies, um, you know, there no experimental studies yet, they're just getting started. Um, there's mm-hmm. some in the UK and then there's some others that are doing some basic safety studies looking at this. Um, there have been some surveys, some survey research, uh, thousands of case reports. Um, there's a researcher, James Fadiman, F-A-D-I-M-A-N, who's done a lot of um, qualitative research around this. And um, people are reporting like, hey, I use very small doses of psilocybin or LSD to be more productive, reduce my depression, enhance my creativity, and they'll use it. You know, once a week or a couple of times a week. Um, so occasionally, generally not every day. Um, and that's what we're seeing. Hmm. Uh, of course, small doses are just as illegal as large doses. Um, so it's 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 still hard for people to access it um, in a safe way, and we don't know what doses are best. We don't know. Mm who they're working for, what conditions they're working for. We won't know that until we do more um, we have more clinical studies about it. Um, and it's new. It's really new. Um, if you look back in the 1950s, 1960s, um, that's not the model of using psychedelics. Psychedelics and psychedelic therapy, the model is you take a lot of it in mm. order to make big changes, you know, or pause that default mode network, become more plastic and make your changes. Microdosing, I think it's, it's become so popular, um, at least as a conversation topic, if not as an actual practice, uh, because it's more aligned with our Western model of medicine and pharmacology, where you take a substance and you just kind of don't notice it. You can just mm-hmm. take it and, and, you know, if you're microdosing correctly, you're not feeling it at all. Or, or if you're it,
0: drinking coffee on a regular basis.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Um, where, um, yeah, like you can drive. Yeah. Yeah, you can go about your day. You can go to work. Um, and so in that way, it's kind of palatable. For um, Because with psychedelic therapy, with a full dose, you need preparation. You need the whole experience, hmm. like a day. And then you need integration. You need... Yeah. Need conversations and work to make sense of that experience. I
0: probably couldn't record a podcast um, when I'm using psychedelics, so. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, microdosing, you'd probably. Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. I have to try so that. That's,
1: Just kidding. That's super, that's super. Hey, yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, very popular um, and um, at least um you know, Silicon Valley and, um, you know, there's been, been that association with it. Yeah. And of course, tech world in Silicon Valley has always been interested in.
0: I think Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. pushed it a little bit. Um, Absolutely. Microdosing yeah. and.
1: Yeah. 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 So we don't know much, um, but it's palatable to our culture because it's a small dose. You can take it and go about your day. It's more just like, I want, I'm going to take a drug and just feel marginally better. It's not a psychedelic therapy. Um, so even though we might be looking at LSD and LSD-assisted psychotherapy, you know, microdosing LSD and then LSD therapy, it's the same drug, but it's a very, very different use.
0: Yeah, and and how would one go about like um, having access on those things legally in the U.S.?
1: Uh, legally, it would have to be approved through clinical trials. Uh,
0: mm.
1: It would have to be approved as a as a medicine, or it would have to be legalized in some way. We haven't talked about decriminalization, but that's certainly happening uh, very slowly, Um, particularly for psilocybin mushrooms. um,
0: When? In which state?
1: Well, we've had um, we've had the city of Denver now decriminalize Mm -hmm. um, psilocybin. Had the city already? Yeah, amazing. Um, Late last, just a few months ago. Um, actually, one of my colleagues, uh, Sarah Gale, who's been our Director of Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Peer Support here, she, um, she, she's at MAPS and she's been appointed to the Denver City Council panel on how to deal with this decriminalization, how to reduce the risks associated with what they're anticipating to be some, some broader use of psilocybin mushrooms. So Denver, um, the state of Oregon, has an initiative um, that they're working on the psilocybin service initiative which is going to be more about sort of medical or therapeutic access. Um, the city of Oakland, California just um, a few months ago also uh, decriminalized psychedelic plants and fungi. Um, city of Berkeley's looking at it city of Santa Cruz and uh, California so these small cities um, and there may be a couple of other um, sort of jurisdictions that are considering it. but looking at the research that's happening, this kind of declining faith in the war on drugs, more suspicion that the war on drugs is helping or doing anything of any good. Um, and then, um, yeah, just amazing activism and advocacy from um, people who are coming to these city councils and, um, or these state panels and talking about the beneficial experiences that they've had mm. with psychedelic plants and fungi. Um, and they're, not coming out and this is you know i think a big change and why we're seeing the decriminalization now and why it's taken so many years Um, i think the key thing that's happened is now when advocates come to these legislators and they say i want to see decriminalization around psychedelics, they're not saying, I want to see decriminalization around psychedelics because it's, it, it, it expands my mind and it shows me what's wrong with the system and how systems of power need to be torn down and, and, <laughs> and we're in an environmental collapse and everybody needs to take these drugs. Um, that's what it was for years. Like, like, that was like the main advocacy. Now people come up and they say, hey, I sat in a mushroom ceremony and I'm no longer addicted to nicotine. Or, um, yeah, I've been part of this peyote Church for many years, and I found community. And um, you know, or hey, I, I was part of a clinical trial using psilocybin or MDMA, and I no longer um, experience this mental illness, and I'm happier, and my family's happier, and my relationships are better. Mm. It's very different. Yeah, very. But the different.
0: arguments are way better, right?
1: Yeah, they are way better. Um, not mm. that expansion of mind and creativity and going yeah. way out there and being a psychic. That's, I mean, I think that is a human right to uh, adjust our consciousness in any way that we see fit. And there needs to be education and support around that, but it is a human right. Um, and the laws against that are violations of human rights. That's my personal opinion. That's also Maps's standpoint, um, but it's not necessarily convincing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's convincing is you know people in their 50s and 60s coming up saying like this is like been really helpful for me I don't use it anymore or like once in a while and um, so now we're starting to see these decriminalization initiatives that are building off of this momentum that we have from the scientific research and we're starting to see this cultural change these are decriminalization initiatives they're not legalization uh, so the drugs are still illegal in these places. It's just they're being made the lowest priority for law enforcement. Um, we saw that with marijuana too. Uh, that is yeah. the first step in decriminalizing substances, is or in making them more broadly available in a safe way. Um, is you start with this 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 decriminalization. So we're just starting to see this. It'll probably be a lot more years of work before we start to see legal adult access for these. Um, Yeah, and we really see the long view. Um, It's already been 40 years of the war on drugs. We're willing to put in another 5 to 10 to 20,
0: 40. So, Brad, at the end, I I always ask um, five questions to every guest. uh, But um, before I ask those five questions, um, could you please tell everyone where can they connect with you and work with you and work with maps and so on and so forth? And um, what would be your best advice on all the things that we've talked about today, like what would you tell our audience?
1: Uh, It's just kind of a nice summary. Sure. Um, So MAPS, um, you can find out all about us um, on our website, maps.org. I think we've had that website up since about 1995. It's like amazing. Um, So lots of great resources there. Um, If you're interested in being part of our clinical trials for PTSD, um, mdmaptsd.org is the recruitment website there. Um, I also super invite people to reach out to me directly. I've got a lot of emails, but like try to answer questions or forward them to people um, who could answer them. My email is brad at maps.org. Super easy. And of course we've got the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, Nice community going on Reddit too. So jump in there. Um, That's how to reach us. Um, You know, I think I would just summarize by saying that um, a lot is going to be changing um, around psychedelics in the next year, two years. We're in these phase three clinical trials right now with MDMA. Also, other orgs are uh, in phase three clinical trials with psilocybin. Um, We're expecting approval for MDMA by the end of 2021. in the treatment of PTSD, that's next year. Uh, and we'll be working on the rollout there, uh, getting insurance coverage, um, increasing accessibility for people who can't afford the treatment, um, all these parallel concerns involved with making a drug more available. So um, we're going to have a lot more to share over the next year and two. Got it. So. Um...
0: The first question out of the five is: uh, What are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life?
1: Mm, yeah, great question. I have a couple right here on my desk, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm gonna go for that. One, one of them. Um, this is kind of, kind of gonna kind of nail me down as a little bit of a drug nerd here, um, but um, it's a book called Pical, P I H K A L. Um, which is by Alexander and Ann Shulgin. Um, That is, um, it's this romantic, beautiful love story about the two authors and about their experiences with MDMA and other psychedelics. Sasha Shulgin, one of the authors, and Ann Shulgin, they were the ones who really highlighted MDMA's therapeutic value in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, Before then, it wasn't as widely known as a therapeutic tool, so... That book is amazing, P.I.H.K.A.L. Um, that's available on the Maps Store, maps.org/store. If people want to pick that up, another one is Marshall McLuhan, uh, "Understanding Media." Uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan, nineteen um, fifties uh, communication theorist. Um, you know, as a as a media producer, you know, I'm sure you understand this kind of like in your bones is that the the the, the setting. It's almost like the set and setting of the communication that happens has everything to do with how it's heard, um, how it's understood. Uh, great point. Yeah. So that's, um, that's been really powerful for me. And then, um, you know, I think, it, you know, probably the third one I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Um, I was always interested in, um, Well, I was was in grad school for a while and left before I finished uh, my PhD. I got my master's in Iran. And uh, I was really interested in the social theorist, Michel Foucault, uh, who helped me shift my perspective around what technologies are, Mm -hmm. um, how how when we use a technology, uh, it affects our concept of ourself and how our identities are connected to the technologies that we use. Especially if those technologies actually go into our brains and affect our brains. So help me think about drugs as these technologies that we can use to help shape our identities in different ways. Got it.
0: So um, the second question is, what are the three uh, movies that you have enjoyed the most?
1: Three movies. I watch so many movies. It's really hard um, <laughs> to um, nail it down um
0: fear and loathing in las vegas so (laughs)
1: yeah oh my gosh i would not recommend that film exactly as a model of responsible psychedelic use. um yeah um yeah i just saw star wars that was super (laughs) fun yeah yeah i love the sci-fi um let's see what else um there's um Enter the Void is this really weird, um, surreal film. Um,
0: enter the Void.
1: Enter the Void. Um, DMT is in the film. Dimethyltryptamine um, is very, very powerful, psychedelic. Um, and it's modeled after um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So the experience of the character as he goes through this kind of like afterlife rebirth process is pretty trippy. Um. <laughs> yeah and then, um, and then a final film um, you know I'd be crazy not to mention the never ending story as possibly my all time favorite film of all time it shows that I'm clearly an 80s kid uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got it so um,
0: the third question is uh, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory
1: product or service yeah that I awesome. wow that's really good <sighs> Um. <laughs> uh, well it was either triple a um, for my flat tires that has been a great innovation i'm no longer What's worried that? about Triple uh, is the American Automobile Association. Uh, you just kind of pay a fee, and like they'll come and change your tire if you get broken down somewhere. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I want to think of a better one though. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, it's yeah, it could be like anything.
0: Yeah. Like people yeah, mention just up- Uber Eats, Amazon Prime. Yeah, I,
1: <laughs> I, I I just upgraded my task management software. So mm. I can track all of the million different things I have to do across all of my devices.
0: What are you using? Which kind of app? Uh, things. Things.
1: It's called mm-hmm. Things. Yeah. Yeah. It's based on this way of um, completing tasks called getting things done. It's very much about mm-hmm. like what's the top priority, how do you move it up? And we have a lot of priorities these days. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So um, the fourth out of the five question is uh, what are the most important realizations that you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their career, family life, relationships, time. So speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us today. Most important realizations in the last couple of years?
1: I think it's that um, it is possible to work harder. Uh, It is possible to do more work and to think harder about my work and to be more creative about it and to devote more energy to it if and only if I balance that out on the other side with fulfilling the other areas of my life, Um, pouring myself into my work and using that as my main measure of my value is not sustainable and it leads me to getting sick and depressed and um, so instead just like really trying to balance out the work and the play as much as possible if you extend all the way over here into work also need to extend all the way over there into play and maintain balance so Mm. that's been important
0: The last question for the day is what would you tell your 20 year old
1: self stick with it man yeah stick with it stick with it um, yeah that, that I, I was 20 when i first had my first lSD experience
0: <laughs> um,
1: i would just say have have patience and you will find something that aligns well with your interests um, yeah yeah I was wasn't sure what I was going to be doing um, i don't think any of us are but <laughs> you know stick with <laughs> it. stick with it
0: yeah. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much for the episode. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story and, um, yeah, giving us, uh, telling us so much about psychedelics and all those different things that we've talked about today. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for the episode.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Heart. It a great conversation. Have a good day. Bye bye. Right. Thank you for listening. If you like
0: this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out.